0: Well, let's begin. It's good to get to gather together. We actually have a large section of of scripture to look at this morning, so we'd do well to to begin. Uh, let me let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning. There, there's much to praise you for. Um, um, every day as we wake up, the life and breath that is given, as as we gather on the Lord's day to worship, as we as we. Consider all the many blessings in our lives, even in the midst of trials and difficulties. We we know you to be good. We know that you're in control, and and we um, rightfully can praise you um, every day of our lives. I pray that you'd be glorified through our praise today. I pray as we open up your Word, it would be instructive. It would uh, you'd give us ears to hear as we think carefully about what what is read, what is taught, um, and what is preached. Even later this. This uh, this morning, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to gather, to praise you, and to be with God's people, um, be glorified um, during this this gathering, and be glorified in our lives as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, a few months back, Ben and I were trying to think through. You know the outline of the class. We knew we didn't want to preach verse by verse through Leviticus, as helpful as that would be, and as uh, uh, it can be done, and it would serve well. But we we did kind of feel like we were going to approach more of, of not just like a one-week summary, real big picture, but but we'd we'd zoom in a little bit, but not not like chapter. By chapter, verse by verse, we we're going to kind of deal in, in sections. And so one of the obvious sections was going to be uh, after the Day of Atonement, that these next chapters have a lot to do with holiness. And so, in fact, some would refer to the, these sections within chapters 17 through 22 as, as the holiness code. And so that just seems to fit well for, for one week to talk about this theme And then as I started giving some thought to these chapters, I was like, boy, that's really going to be interesting to divide up five chapters in in 45 minutes. And then I actually did math and realized it's actually six chapters. So I was like 17 through 22 and my mind sounded like five chapters and no, that's that's six. So that's just silly to me to think, you know, I need to go back to first grade because we have six chapters to look at uh, in 40 minutes, I believe. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at sections within each chapter. I'd like to have the opportunity to pause for some observation in addition to just certain comments that, that I'll be making. And really what you have in front of you is just an attempt to kind of outline each of the chapters in a way that would just kind of help us uh, see somewhat of the organization that is, that is here. It certainly is uh, organized thoughts, uh, as Moses writes this section, um, as as you will see, as the Lord spoke to Moses, uh, giving him this instruction, we continue to hear that refrain over and over throughout these chapters and throughout all of Leviticus. So. What we're going to do is begin, well, actually, before we begin in chapter 17, I just want to make one note about a key phrase that we've already gotten used to in Leviticus, but it's going to happen a lot. Uh, Not really as much in chapter 17, but in chapters 18 and following, we're going to continue to see this refrain of, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God, I am the lord it 's over and over this this constant refrain, even uh by my count in these chapters that thirty seven times that would happen in in uh, chapters eighteen through twenty two but it 's not new in Leviticus. This is already the the norm you 've seen it in in Exodus. it happens in numbers. This is the refrain that that begins the the ten commandments there 's ten words. And so really, there's a lot of instruction just in a statement like this of, I am the Lord, or I am the Lord your God. And so even as you walk through the Pentateuch, every time the Lord says this to Moses, there's a lot of instruction there just even in that statement. Because what this does is it draws the hearer to think historically, you know, they think back to the deliverance from, from Egypt. you know, They think back to this redemption that, that took place from slavery in uh, Egypt. So this, this call, I am the Lord, reminds them of what God has done. Then, often in Leviticus and, and elsewhere, when this statement, I am the Lord your God, is given, it's also tied in with this call to be holy. And so often we, we've been saying that there's this theme of holiness that's going to continue to pop up in, in Leviticus. And it's holiness with an aim, holiness with the goal of, of dwelling with, with God. And so each time we see this call to be holy, uh, we're often drawn to realize we're to be holy as God is holy. And so the statement that would be made, it will turn even ch- to chapter 11 because this is not you know new here. This is repeated content. So back in in chapter 11, you'd have seen this call to holiness, and the call to holiness is informed by the character of God and who God is. So chapter 11, verse 44, the Lord says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. So this is going to be a statement that is made throughout These chapters that we'll look at even today, but it's a statement that's been made often. And so we're just mindful of when you see this statement, I am the Lord or I am the Lord your God. uh, It reminded the Israelites to look back because there's often statements. So I am the Lord your God who delivered you from Egypt. Uh, So you, you think back to what God has done for I am the Lord your God. It's a reminder of who God is. He's holy. And so they are to be holy. So that there's much instruction in this statement. I am the Lord. And then there, there's a third purpose, too, that we'll see in these, these verses, too. It's also motivation to then obey these, these commands. Uh, that, these are the, the ways that this statement often continues to come up in Leviticus. I am the Lord your God. They think back to what God did for them in Egypt. They think currently to who God is and this, this call to holiness. And they also are reminded, I am the Lord, as they're being told the law and the these laws to keep, so it's motive for keeping particular laws. I am the Lord your God is this constant refrain thirty seven times in these uh, six chapters and so really here's a quote from one commentator really benefited a lot from him you'll you'll see. Um, Wynnum's name come up twice today just in, in the outline but here's a quote in regards to this statement I am the Lord he says just in this very short formula the Israelites were being reminded constantly who they were and whom they served. So, really, if you think you know, the Lord delivered them out of Egypt. The Lord has called them to holiness, and the Lord is calling them to obey His laws. You're seeing that in that that quote there. This this short formula is reminding the Israelites of who they are, and and who they serve. So, there's a lot in that statement. So, so don't don't move past those type of observations as you read repeated statements in the scriptures recognize that's not filler and it certainly helps us and instructs us about who God is, what he's done, um, what, and how we are to rightly relate to him. So we are now going to, to kind of march through these chapters. We have 17 through 22 in front of us and what we're going to do is begin uh, with, with the first nine verses of Leviticus 17. Before we read uh, Leviticus 17, I'll just say uh, it's it's bloody and it's somewhat bizarre. So so we're going to see some bizarre statements and some bloody statements. In fact, uh, bloody to the extent that that blood is here 13 times in one chapter. So it's a pretty bloody chapter. All right, 17, 1 through 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Well, let's just go ahead and pause here for a second. I did say we we're going to read through nine, but just in those first two verses, really, we, we're entering into instruction that is not just priestly instruction. We've probably gotten kind of used to that in a lot of what's been going on. If there's instruction about the sacrifices and who is going to perform those sacrifices and how they're going to perform these sacrifices, uh, who has the instruction been given to primarily in much of Leviticus? The priest. That's right. So it's priestly instruction. But recognize here who, who is being instructed to pay careful attention. Um, it, it's pertaining to them. Who's the instruction for in Leviticus 17 and following? That's right. We got all the people. this is for the people. This is for all the people, all the sons of Israel. So that was verse two. Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. So what we're going to be reading is commandments from the Lord to the, all the nation Israel. Okay, verse three. If anyone, so again language of, you know, all. If anyone of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I'll just pause here for a second. Uh, through verses one through six, why is this? Why does this make sense to you? Why there, there's instruction about how these, sac- where these sacrifices are to take place? When we're particularly talking about the animals that are listed uh, in verse, what would it be four, three, three? So ox, lamb, goat. Why? Why is there instruction about not killing the ox, lamb, and goat? outside the camp, what's just kind of your awareness in regards to what we've, we've learned about sacrifice so far. And well, yeah, so I guess I, I am just implying, it's done a certain way, it's done by a particular person and it's done at a particular place. This is something that really is only to take place at the tabernacle. And so apparently you, could, you kind of picture a setting where you have someone eating meat, but they're eating meat outside the camp and, and if you find them eating the, the goats or you find them eating the lamb or the ox and their, their response is, well, I was just offering up a sacrifice to the Lord. You know, and they're, they're kind of justifying this act by, well, I, w- I was performing sacrifice. And they're saying, no, 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 no. The, the priest is the one who performs the sacrifice. And so it has to happen at the tabernacle. You're not to do this outside the camp. And so there's, there's this instruction. Again, we, we've learned I've learned so much about the specifics about where these sacrifices are to take place and the offense that it is to God to do anything outside of God's purposes. And so, so that, that's pretty standard here through verses 1 through 6. Then, then verse 7, uh, you know, if you have and your children reading through the Bible in a year, I'm sure they've already asked you questions before Leviticus 17, but they probably ask you what a goat demon is when they start reading Leviticus 17. Uh, it says, verse 7 So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons, after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them Any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off. From his people. So we're going to see even more, particularly, I think it'll be in chapter 19, um, uh, really, the, the, or well, 18, this call to be distinct, this call to not be like the, they, they, they're less than a year out from leaving Egypt. They're going to be going into Canaan. And so there's this constant refrain to not be like the, the Egyptians, not to be like the Canaanites in their idolatry in their immorality, on and on you go. And so I think what's going on here in chapter 17 is you're recognizing this idolatrous sacrifice that would take place um, outside of God's people. So even the, perhaps, you know, the demonic worship that would be going on that, that it's not even hard to picture, you know, Goat demons, bloody goat demons, if you think of just the evil of somebody like sacrificing a goat, eating its blood, and offering it up to some pagan god. You know, that, that would be what, what maybe would be the influence around the Israelites. And, and the call here is to have nothing to do with the, this idolatrous sacrifice that would, that would be done by pagan um, worship, but they were to worship God. Worship the one true God and worship the one true God rightly. So offer your sacrifices before the Lord at the tabernacle. The priests do that sacrifice, not you. Don't do this outside the camp. So that's kind of what's going on here in in this first reminder of the first nine, nine verses. Okay, so instruction about the sacrifices, then, then it really starts getting bloody. And really, the theme, I think the theme verse even in this section would be verse 11. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Because what's going on in verses 10 through 12 is a command not to eat blood. Uh, so this is, this is a command from God. I think we should just go ahead and read it. Verses 10 through 12. We aren't going to be able to read all these chapters, but obviously I'm reading a lot here at the beginning. If, verse 10. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood. Neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Okay, blood all over the place in chapter 17. Blood is all over the place in the scriptures. Um, what, what, is, what comes to mind as you hear this, this statement in verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood? Just comments, observations. Okay, so really to 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 uphold the, the sanctity of blood is really to uphold the, the sanctity of human life. That's certainly a reality. Blood is the life of a creature. How would they even know this without reading it in the Pentateuch? You know, you, you, you slay an animal, it sheds blood, And it dies. So a lot of tribal worship would would view then if you slay something, if the life is in the blood. So when that blood pours out, what would they do with that blood? They would often consume it. You know, drink it, um, eat eat a eat a slain animal. Without draining its blood, these would be the things that a lot of the, the pagan people would do thinking that if, if life is in the blood, if they were to consume that blood then, then they're gonna, they're going to have more life and so this is a very pagan practice and, and um, what what they are being told as god's people is to not eat blood because for the life of the flesh is in the blood to to observe that blood is significantly spiritual. You know, blood is the life of a creature. This happens, you know, well, we could go, go back to Genesis 9 real quick. Chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are all delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And so... So you are just seeing in the scriptures, you know that that God has ordained, you know, well the life is in the blood, and then when we start thinking in in this sense of, of, you know, the sanctity of life, um, you're not to eat the blood, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood, 9-4 says. And then on and on, you can go at other in, in Old Testament instruction about this. Then it's interesting, it comes up even in Acts chapter 15, there's certain things that are going on, I think we should turn there, in fact, Acts 15, uh, 23, the council, uh, I'll jump in, in verse 22, Acts 15, 22. That it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Uh, The brothers with the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So even in this new covenant, since uh, this thinking of you know trying not to offend others' conscience, you even read here of instruction from from these uh, apostles to them in regards to still abstaining from blood, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, verse 29 says, and then also from sexual immorality. So if you just kind of step back and think, you know, what we know about blood, that it's, it's the ordain, ordained means by which God atones for sin, makes atonement for sin. Then when you think of the, the work, the life and work, the ministry of Christ, and then He is. He dies, sheds blood to make atonement for our sin. Christ's blood. The scriptures tell us is supremely precious. Even First Peter one says that. Uh, New Testament tells us that Christ's blood justifies. uh, Well, and and so when you read of Christ's blood, you know this is kind of like synonymous with the the atoning work of Christ. So the atoning work of Christ it it justifies, it redeems, it sanctifies, it cleanses, it provides forgiveness. This is all stuff we read about in the New Testament about the blood of Christ. And so irreverence for Christ's blood um, with regards to Christ's blood is an insult to the Holy Spirit. Even Hebrews 10 would talk about. So if we uphold life, sanctity of life, that there's a sanctity for, for blood as well. There's this demonic usage of blood that it's not hard to even picture you know, around Halloween, which is, you know, bloody sacrifice. Uh, we're to have nothing to do with that, those demonic practices. And so do not eat blood is what the instruction was, was for the nation Israel. And that's what chapter 17 is saying. Do not be like those around you, those who you came out from in Egypt and the, the land that you're going into, Canaan. Do not eat blood and sacrifice Animals in the way that God has commanded you to at the tabernacle. And so that's what you're seeing in chapter 17. Well, there's a lot there. Um, more for you to even read on your own. But let's jump then into chapter 18. Because again, we're, we're sticking with this theme of, of being distinct. Uh, being set apart. This holiness code that's given in these six chapters. And, and chapter 18 begins, verses one through five, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. That's that refrain we referred to a minute ago. Chapter Verse three, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Okay, i doing a lot of talking so far, so it's probably easy to like drift off here, but just pay attention in those, those first five verses of, of chapter 18. What is the result of, of keeping um, God's statutes? They live. That's right. There's blessing that comes from obedience to God's statutes. Keep them and you live. What was, and this has already been referred to at the beginning of the lesson today, what is the motivation for for keeping these these statutes? Um, It's that refrain. It actually came up twice here. You know, I am the Lord your God. So again, it's you know who they are and who they serve. Motivates them to obedience. And so, so there's going to be this instruction to be set apart. Do not be like the Egyptians and the Canaanites. In regard, Last chapter, it was in regards to sacrificing animals. In chapter 18, it is in regards to sexual morality. Do not be like uh, the Egyptians and the Canaanites in their sexual immorality. And so I'm actually going to have you guys read on your own real quick. Not all of it. Just kind of skim over verses 6 through 18. What do you see a lot of in verses 6 through 18 uh, of chapter 18? Okay, you see a lot of do not. Okay. Yeah. Any like uncomfortable words? Thank you for saying it. There's a lot of nakedness nakedness in, in chapter uh, 18. This is kind of this is really helpful because what what is this statement of, of nakedness uh, speaking to? That's right. So we we are seeing. I think this is even. I joked a minute ago about if your kid you know reads through the Bible and asks you you know what a a, a goat demon is. But even th- think of. There's there's benefits even with a, a child you know as you as you walk through you're thinking man we're gonna have difficult talks important talks as as they grow but even just as you read through chapter 18 you can be mindful of just you know nakedness and you know like the any of the inappropriate um, reality of 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 someone else's nakedness. And then as you, as you grow more and, and understand even more broadly what, what even is being referred to in Leviticus in regards to nakedness, we're dealing with sexual relations. And so that the proper context for nakedness, the, the improper um, usage of it in all of their surroundings. And so you have these prohibitions regarding improper Relations that goes on from verses six, and it, it continues through chapter eighteen. I mean, really, if you just look at verses six through seventeen, uh, flip your handout over. We're going to go back to to page one, but just kind of flip over to page two real quick. These, these prohibitions are not exhaustive. You might think they are because there's so many listed. But realize, again, the context at the beginning of chapter 18 says, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. So I believe that this list that is given in verses 6 through 18, uh, in regards to all of this nakedness, is speaking to what would have been observed in Egypt. What was taking place in Egypt? What is taking place in the the land that they're going into in Canaan? Because if you look at this list, there's some pretty obvious Statement's missing here. Because a man may not marry. And so then again, if we're thinking of nakedness, and I'm saying the word marry here, we're, we're talking about sexual relations that, that are to happen. The only proper context is one man and one woman. We'll even see that in, in later in chapter 18. But, but one man, one woman in marriage, that is is the proper setting for nakedness, for sexual intercourse. Uh, and so a man may not marry. And as you walk through the verses, you can't marry... Can't marry his mother, his sister, his half-sister, his granddaughter, his aunt, his stepsister, his stepdaughter, his stepgranddaughter, his stepmother, his sister-in-law, his daughter-in-law, his aunt by marriage. I mean, on and on that the list go. What's missing here though? Um, his daughter. His daughter's not here. So you think isn't that even interesting? I, I think you're recognizing just a Common grace here, even amongst the, as as corrupt and, and sinful and consumed sexually that these cultures would have been, there already, I think, was this right recognition of one improper context for nakedness, for sexual intercourse, it would be a man with his daughter. And so you think, well, why is that not listed here? And I believe a great explanation for that would be, They're being told to not do as they do in the land of Egypt and not to do as they do in the land of Canaan. And even if it was taking place to certain degrees, it was common knowledge of the wrong, um, just the evil uh, of of a father with his daughter. It's not listed here because it doesn't need to be listed here. Do not be like those in your surroundings though. Uh, These would be unlawful sexual relations that are listed in verses 6 through 18. Uh, Just Any comments uh, about this up to this point as we think even this call to be distinct and the prohibitions that are given? Yes? So um, these are not a list of prohibitions about adultery. They've already been told not to commit adultery. So these would all be expected, I guess, in their hearing that these would be people you might marry. That's right. But I find it interesting verse 20, uh, I'm sorry. verse 20, you must not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife and thus defile her, file yourself with her. And in my mind, I'm wondering why is that stated? Is that just a general prohibition against adultery again? Or is this something else? Is this an issue with marrying someone who lives Next to and their husband, you know, the widow. um, Is is that a relationship he's talking about that would somehow be dishonorable or unholy? Yeah. Yeah. So that, in fact, I do think what you said a minute ago is helpful to even point out that even the unlawfulness of these things. There is. I hope I represent this right. There is a more broad definition of adultery in the Old Testament. Than, than even like how adultery would be described in the New Testament, you know, when you're, you're thinking of, you know, anything, any sexual immorality, like in the Old Testament, when they're talking about adultery, it would be like a married man w- with a, another married woman. But, but, so I don't know if I'm able to answer your question about why there's a lot of repetition. I know I can say in chapter 20, why are all of these things repeated again in chapter 20? We'll get there in just a second. But um, why is that repeated in verse 20 after all of this has been stated in verses 6 and following? Uh, that's not something I thought carefully about. But but you are seeing very clear what is in a, inappropriate and actually uh, an offense to God, an abomination. Uh, even listed for some of these acts uh, that are later listed. But I I guess I could say the summary of 6 through 18 is dealing more with, like you said, marriage relationships. And then you are reading of of an adulterous act that's taking place in verse 20. You shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. Um, And you are talking more about marriage unions in verses 6 through 18. I got a question. Yes. Is this implying that it was taking place before then? Amongst the Israelites? That's a good question. Um there you know, you certainly I mean not yes. that they don't do it, but have they been doing it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean it seems like a lot of it is a <clears throat> warning like you said in verse three, right? Mm-hmm. bring you to the land of Canaan, don't do what they're doing. Uh but I mean Moses or not Moses, uh Noah um right. So even so, earlier you did have, but I don't okay. let, let you use that to characterize the whole nation. I don't yeah, where where's the verse about you know don't marry a sister and her sister, and you, you think Jacob would be like, no joke, you know, um, <laughs> um, verse eleven, yeah, or I don't know where it is. So anyway, yeah, there would be things popping up here and there of uh, things, events that would have taken place earlier. Anyway, you are seeing the theme here, though, again, 18.4. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. The call here is to be distinct, to be holy. And this is helpful. I, I, I meant to say this at the beginning. I don't know if I did, though. All of this instruction about being holy has this aim of dwelling with God rightly. We have to be holy um, the goal of holiness is union and fellowship with God. That was that quote from Gonzalez that we've been saying throughout this study. Holiness matters. And so, man, we need to know what holiness looks like. Because man's going to set up his own standard. Uh, and you can see that throughout history. If you think, well, what does holiness look like to me? Well, I'll define it what's, however convenient or however whatever makes sense. What does holiness look like in regards to right Sacrifice? Well, I'll just do whatever th- seems right to me. You know what I mean? If, if God does not give specific instruction about what holiness looks like, man is going to fail to know what it is because man is not holy. And so you see all sorts of varieties of attempts to be holy when it's just man-made, creative, unbiblical, inappropriate responses where if we're going to be holy, we need to know what holiness looks like. And the only way we're going to know what holiness looks like is if the holy God who alone is, is eternally and immutably holy tells us what holiness looks like. And so chapter 18 is saying here is what is forbidden. And so because, because uh, there, there's only one um, context for sexual relations and that is in marriage and marriage is be t- between one man and one woman. So then even as you walk through some of those prohibitions that, that Dave was pointing out. In 19 and following, you're seeing you know, prohibitions even about homosexuality. Verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. Uh, and what is an abomination? Detestable. Something detestable, and particularly something detestable to God. And, and so, yeah, it goes against his character. This, th- so this, this call is an abomination to God. And so we're commanded there. And and then you see bestiality also, something just detestable. Um, you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. And so, so you're seeing abominations, perversions. Um, this call is to be clean, to be holy, to not be unclean. Um, okay, and again, at the beginning, somebody noted this, uh, Rick did. I said, what if, if we observe God's statutes, uh, it, it leads to, to life. He saw that in verse five, he shall live by them. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Well, it's interesting to note that, um, when it, look at verse three, when it says, you shall not do as they do. It says, you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. That's the same word. So when we're thinking of God's laws, the same word that's used here in chapter 18, it's God's statutes. If you keep God's statutes, it leads to life. It's blessing. There's wisdom in obeying God. And so it's compared to the statutes of the Canaanites, their Commands their rules. And so when you look at the end of chapter 18, there's a completely opposite uh, result. If you keep God's statutes, it leads to life. If you keep the statutes of the Canaanites, look at the results at the end of chapter 18. Um, For everyone, verse 29, well, let's go back. Even 28's helpful here too. Um, If you you do these abominations uh, and the land becomes unclean, look at verse 28 lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. And so you're seeing even his evil acts, you know, the land vomiting you out. What an interesting word picture. I mean, if you even think of The issues and the problems that come from such ungodliness that is forbidden. It's not hard to to list the ways that the land would vomit you out. But then even thinking of of this divine act from God where he cuts you off from among the people. So to be cut off, this divine judgment from God um, and cutting them off from the people if they do these things. So... Verse 30, keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Again, there, there is your motivation. Yes, Mark. Um, the application for today at is second version, all the feel yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah, I think we see you know very. We we're able to identify with just just as much as it's called to as God's people to 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 obey God's commands, and so for then for us as the church to to obey God's commands and to to uphold. Um, purity, sexual purity, and the blessings that come from that i mean it's, there's studies that, that are done where, where people would like to think that if you if you 're promiscuous, it leads to all sorts of blessing and life and happiness, and there's just all sorts of um, of negative results from from such ungodliness so you're recognizing there is blessings in obedience to God and and obeying God's commands particularly with sexual purity but then like you're saying Mark then you're also seeing in a culture that doesn't uphold the these these standards you see all sorts of of depravity that follows <clears throat> and I think so you're just kind of making an observation about what what you're observing around you right is Mm. But mm. Yeah, so it is all around us. So I do think, man, what a, what a helpful motivation to think who, if, if you think of what I said at the beginning of the, this, this reminder that, that I am the Lord your God reminds you of who you are and who you serve. And so f- for us as the church, you know, uh, the new covenant people of God, uh, we, like, we are his and, and, and we serve him. He is our, our Lord. And so that's the same motivation for us in, in the same commands in the New Testament um, to uphold the, this sexual purity. And these the same things that are an abomination in the Old Testament, you know, that, that's an abomination to, to our, the one true God, um, the unchanging, immutable, eternal God. It's, it's still an abomination to him. And so when we, we obey his words, um, that, that is right and good for us. And you certainly see around you uh, a rejection of God's commands, and you see the um, depravity that, that follows. Um, let, let's continue then uh, into chapter 19. And, and it, if we do, well, we have, when we run out of time, it's interesting, just, this might be a, a good time just to jump over to it then. If we just looked at chapter 18, when you turn over to chapter 20, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna summarize chapter 20, with just this one comment because there is so much repetition, but we have the opportunity to look at two very rare words, $5 words that you might want to write down. Chapters 18 and 19, they speak of what is forbidden or what is commanded behavior. So so when you're reading in chapters 18 and 19, you're reading about certain acts that are forbidden. Chapter 19 is going to have a lot to do with what is commanded. So these are forbidden and commanded behaviors. And, And so at chapters 18 and 19, write this down, are apodictic. Okay, so A-P-O-D-I-C-T-I-C, apodictic. They, they've, yeah, A-P-O-D-I-C-T-I-C. 18 and 19 are apodictic. They, they forbid or they command behavior. Then in chapter 20, when you look at it, you're gonna think, wow, this is all repeated stuff. I just read this. You know, even like maybe the Israelites are, I just heard this. But chapter 20 uh, while this repetition about the, the behavior that is forbidden or the acts that, that are to be commanded, it's casuistic. So that means what, what must be done or what is forbidden, uh, this, is, this is what must be done if those forbidden things take place. What must be done if laws are broken? That's what chapter 20 is going to clarify. So chapters 18 and 19 are saying, don't do this or do this, chapter 19, and then chapter 20 repeats those uh, many of those things that are in these chapters. But it's saying, if you fail to do um, this, if you don't, um, if you don't do what is commanded, here's here's what must be done if laws are broken. And so we won't have time necessarily to walk through all those punishments that are listed in chapter 20. But again, 18 and 19 are speaking of of things that are forbidden. Behavior that's forbidden, chapter 18. And then chapter 19, behavior that is commanded. And so here's, here's what is commanded. And if you were to walk through, in fact, I'll just read a few verses here real quick. Chapter 19, um, 1 through 4. And, and the Lord spoke to Moses, 19, 1, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Uh, wait, holiness just starts in the home, right? You know. So you even seen here: you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. You shall keep my sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. If I was just to pause there for a second and ask this question of what, what does this sound an awful lot like? Uh, the Ten Commandments, right. And so, you know, move on down. Uh, chapter, verse 11, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So really in chapter 19, there's going to be this call to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, that's, that's Old Testament. It, 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 we're, we're told here in Leviticus 19. Um, Love your neighbor as yourself. And so then, you know, when you think of even this summary of the law in the New Testament, uh, look, at, look at even verse 17, though, of 19. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You know, I think sometimes we uh, fail to recognize this, this stuff was even, it's not brand new when it's, when it's spoken of in, in the New Testament about hatred in your heart being um, a murderous act. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, 19, 17. But anyway, so you have all these these commands, um, behavior that is commanded is in chapter 19, and it really is summarized with love for neighbor. So forbidden behavior in chapter 18, um, commanded behavior. In chapter 19, so you see in that outline uh, the list of, of commands that are there. Real quick, just because it, it's so timely, look at verse 15 and 16. When we start talking about justice, we do well to, to know what biblical justice looks like. And this is very countercultural, I believe, here in 15 and 16. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or Defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And so if you think of the tendency now in an act to to quote unquote pursue social justice, it would be you've had a great injustice done. So let's counter that injustice with injustice. And so you got partiality. If partiality was being shown to one category, let's just, you know, Go to the other side of the other the other ditch and let's show partiality on the other side to kind of like balance it out. And Leviticus 19:17, it, it, it's saying, I'm sorry, did I just say uh, what is that? 15. The this call is there's no partiality. Don't show partiality. So so it's not. Don't favor the rich. Don't don't show partiality to the poor. Be just. Uh, you shall do no injustice in court. Verse 16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So, some more here. And you just see in that outline, really, that um, there's just a call you know, that summarizes the Ten Commandments, I believe, in those first 18 verses, and then 19 and following, more statutes. Here's just a call to keep God's statutes, and the motivation behind keeping God's statutes is I am the Lord your God. So the last verse, 37, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Okay, we're going to jump over chapter 20. Again, just a reminder here, this this is what must be done if laws are broken, chapter 20. And so the laws are repeated from just previous chapters, um, and and they're They continue to be an offense against God. Well, these last two chapters, we're already out of time, but the last two chapters do then move into specific instruction for the priests. And so chapters 21 and 22 are dealing with the priesthood. You actually have instruction given to all the priests, uh, even in regards to, to how they were to mourn the death of a family member. Um, they always are on duty. So they need to be ready to go to work and they have to be clean in order to, to serve as a priest. And so there were certain rules, prohibitions for the priests, certain things they, they couldn't touch the dead bodies so they wouldn't be unclean because they'd have to do a variety of things to get clean and people needed the priest to act. So you have, you have certain rules for how they were to mourn and you have certain rules, additional rules for their marriages, the appropriate marriage context that because um, if they were of the line of of Aaron, you know it was very important that you kept a very clean line of, of who their sons were, and so there was not to be any any marriage between a priest and, and, a, and a, a divorced woman or a, a priest and a prostitute, and the basis for all of it would have been so that there 's no difficult um, Record keeping of who the the sons of Aaron are. So anyway, there was rules for mourning and rules for marriage. You read about that in chapter 21. The, The extra standard of holiness for the priests. And it only increases all the more when you then move into verses 10 through 15. Because then there's this call to the holiness for the high priest in regards to how they were to mourn, how they were to marry. 16 through 24 is almost even hard to, to wrap your mind around. You kind of have to step back and recognize, okay, what do I know to be true about God? Because then when you start reading verses 16 through 24, there were actually certain physical conditions that would rule out someone, a priest from doing the work of, of, of a priest. And so if you think of an unblemished lamb as an offering, you also the priest also had to be unblemished, and so there was this this standard of physical conditions that would have ruled out someone from from functioning in in their priestly role. And so, when you read of a man blind or lame, verse eighteen of twenty one. Uh, one who has a mutilated face, one whose arm is longer than the other, you know, all these things that are listed. It's because it, the unblemished sacrifice was offered up by, you know, the, this priest who is also to, to have certain standards, you know, unblemished, and certainly is always going to be pointing to this greater high priest who was this spotless lamb who was sacrificed for our sins. Anyway, chapter 21 has this instruction for the priests about uh, all of these different rules and restrictions for their, their role. Then, chapter 22 then speaks to the, to the permissions that they are given in regards to, to how they're to treat the sacrifices for, for their portion, for what they were to eat, how they were to eat it, who could eat it with them. Uh, and, and you read about that in, in chapter 22. And again, more instruction about the acceptable offerings you've got to do this god's way you cannot do it left to your own just thinking what makes sense in your own eyes no this is this these are the acceptable priests and these are the ways that the priests are to provide these acceptable offerings and chapter 22 keeps it very clear Verse 31 that ends, So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord and you shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So he is the Lord. He is holy. And so they are called to be holy. And and these chapters really speak with a lot of specificity about what this holiness looks like for the nation Israel. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you mindful that you are holy. You are set apart. You can have nothing to do with sin. So even as we explore all these events in Leviticus, just to take note of, of the the mercy that is shown in, uh, through sacrifice and making atonement for sins so that, um, so that we could approach you rightly. Uh, and so even as you read of, of the instruction given to the nation of Israel, specifically in Leviticus, about how they were to approach you, then with New Testament lenses, we delight in, in the person and work of Christ, what Christ has accomplished for, for our good and for your glory by living a perfect life and then dying as this perfect sacrifice in our place, shedding his blood to pay for our sins so that we could be reconciled to you. And now we can confidently and boldly um, approach you with full assurance because of Christ. And uh, God, I pray that uh, this would motivate us to obey your word, to pursue holiness. You are holy and we are to be holy like you. So may this motivate us to, to walk in a manner worthy. Uh, may we, may we um, practice what is commanded of us in, in the Scriptures. May we be obedient to your Scriptures. May we display the glory of God as, as we grow in godliness, as we become more like Christ, as we grow in holiness. We do love you and thank you and praise you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.